I'm Kate and I will be your host for this show. I am currently studying English at Birmingham Southern College with a concentration in Greek and Roman studies and an interest in philosophy. Today we will be discussing the colonial fever dream um, of a work which is the discovery of Guyana um, which is written by Sir Walter Raleigh in 1596 after his journey to the Americas. Um, I will be joined by my associates who are very well versed and have focuses in the aspects of the work which we will be discussing today through the context of environmental thought. Hi, I'm Bailey, a college student at Birmingham Southern who is influenced by the patriarchal boundaries women have continuously battled, especially through historical accounts of women and its parallels with the treatment of the environment. Hi, I'm Chloe, and I'm a health science major um, with an interest in environmental studies within the ancient world. And hi, I'm Allison. I'm a public relations major at Birmingham Southern with a history and interest in studying late Roman antiquity and literature. So I think the best way to begin with our discussion is to kind of give you all some background on Sir Walter Raleigh himself, who lived a pretty wild life for a notable Englishman. Um, so it begins with him having a secret scandalous marriage to one of the queen's ladies-in-waiting. And he was in the queen's good graces all before this, but once she found out, she locked him in the Tower of London and eventually he was released and able to go on a journey to explore the Americas. He was searching for El Dorado, which is the city entirely made of gold. Um, so his motivations as a narrator manipulate the truth. So he's not very trustworthy and we can't really take everything he says as the truth. Um, but that doesn't mean that there isn't merit to be found in this text. I think regardless of his motivations, if we're able to acknowledge them and understand that that's the lens we're evaluating through, we can still gain a lot of knowledge about the historical perspectives and view of the environment. So just to give our listeners a little perspective about where this is even located in the world, um, where is Guyana? So Guyana is um, a territory that the English settled, um, and it's currently located in modern-day Venezuela, so like northeastern South America. So what were Raleigh's intentions in going on this journey and writing down his experiences in the way that he did? Well, um, like I was talking about before, I think his personal intentions were to gain back the favor of the queen, just because he wanted that, and so that's kind of his motivation, which we have to view the text through but also the historical context of this and the greater purpose was colonialism. England and the rest of Europe pretty much were running out of natural resources. People had inhabited that country in an aggressive fashion since like the early Roman Empire, you know? They'd been exploiting their natural resources for years upon years. And so they were really running out of them and they needed to find a place that they could exploit to do that. They were completely out of lumber, they didn't have a good access to clean water and fish and, you know, resources that they needed to continue the level of development in society that they were in. 
So what you're saying is that this is about the colonialists and their use of their resources. Yeah, I think that's really honestly what it comes back to. Um, it kind of began as this like mad search for resources, which they really needed. And then once given the opportunity and the unlimited resources that the Americas posed to them, it kind of turned into a more mercantilistic mission. And mercantilism is the economic philosophy that um, if you're exporting more than you're importing, you're gonna be making a profit. And that's honestly what the colonies turned into. Um, just a way for the Europeans to make a profit and money and it was very lucrative I mean they were dripping in resources that they didn't have access to before it's also important to note that their original intention was looking for trade routes to Asia but it's kind of ironic because in the end they ended up finding something even more lucrative in regards to trade so I'm gonna go ahead and delve into the text which explicitly relates how um, Raleigh's intentions are translated through his writing. Um, I've highlighted a passage which I feel like pretty much encompasses his intentions. And it reads, To conclude, Guyana is a country that hath yet her maidenhood, never sacked, turned, nor wrought. The face of the earth hath, hath not been torn, nor the virtue and salt of the soil spent manurance. The graves have not been opened for gold, the mines not broken with sledges, nor their images pulled down by their temples. It hath never been entered by any army of strength, and never conquered or possessed by any Christian prince. It is besides so defensible, that if two forts be builded in one of the provinces which I have seen, the floodeth in so near the bank where the channel also leath, that no ship can pass but within a pike's length of the artillery, first of the one and afterwards of the other. Wow, so that passage, there's a lot going on. So Bailey, do you want to kind of unpack it for us? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the most apparent thing about this passage is his personification of Guyana as a woman. Um, in literally the first sentence, he refers to her as a her, which implies that she's a woman and kind of correlates to how they're taking over the environment, how he can take over a woman in the same kind of fashion. Um, he also uses like very distinct verbs such as sacked, torn, wrought, turned, broken, which obviously display his violent intentions with the purity of nature and women and how, how all of that relates together. Obviously he's talking about how he's going to exploit the resources for artillery purposes and just from a standpoint of how England can capitalize on it. But also, this is a perfect example of ecofeminism. Um, if anyone that isn't familiar with it, ecofeminism is a group of thought which emphasizes the cultural and historical tie between women and the environment. It basically focuses on like the con conceptual, symbolic, and ling linguistic connections between feminist and ecological issues. So basically, as Raleigh is discussing how he's going to break and conquer the environment of Guyana, it kind of parallels how women are treated in this time in the first place. I was really struck by the word maidenhead in this passage, so Bailey, do you want to discuss that a little bit and talk about how it reflects uh, Raleigh's attitude towards the environment and his position on women? Yeah, so women in this time were very much discriminated against and dominated by male power. And I think 
Raleigh's use of the word maidenhead really reflects his um, kind of agreement with that patriarchal view. And honestly, from a woman's perspective, his language is kind of offensive because it could be viewed as almost sexual assault, right? Yeah. Like that's, like, what, that's what the vibes I'm getting from that. You right. Know? He has all the agency and he's the one that's dominating and exploiting this, whether it be land or a woman, you know? Yeah, this passage could definitely be viewed as a complete violation of women's rights and their position in society. I also think that Maidenhead is interesting because it kind of reveals his ideas about, like, virginity and the idealized, um, maidenhood virgin aspect of this entire piece you know what I mean yeah all right Bailey can we talk a little bit more about women's roles in this 15th century time period yeah so women were pretty much viewed as kind of put on a pedestal and were expected to be virgins and have this pure essence to them which obviously stems from a patriarchal domination of them but um, that was just their role, just to be under, undermined and dominated. Yeah, and this idealized idea, you know, you can see it across history. I mean, in part, it's because of Christianity and the Virgin Mary and that idealized description. But also, like, the queen herself is the Virgin Queen, Queen Elizabeth. And so this is, you can see this throughout the entire passage, you know, like, Basically, what Raleigh is talking about and comparing this to is land that's untouched, which is lends itself very well to the parallel of a woman being untouched. Thanks, Bailey. That was a great introduction to a conversation about resources, which is really what I want to focus on. Now I'm going to be discussing um, an image that was drawn by Theodore de Bry entitled Their Manner of Fishing in Virginia. And this image will be hyperlinked below for our listeners if you guys would like to take another look. So while it was not found originally in the Raleigh text, it is from the same time period and aligns perfectly with his ideas and is a great example of how they exploited the land's natural resources. This image depicts an ideal peaceful mass of fresh water with native people fishing in a canoe. The artist made sure to emphasize the abundance of fish and other aquatic creatures swimming through the water. There's also a heavy depiction of natural resources such as healthy and thick forests populating in the background. The entire purpose of this picture seems to be to present this land as fertile and overflowing with foods and desirable goods. So Chloe, how would you say that this image is representative of the goals of colonization? So it's kind of a long story, but um, they basically got into trouble and they ran into some conflict and then, as a result, exploited all of the indigenous raw materials and the Europeans became extremely impoverished with regards to the resources and branched out looking for India, but instead found the Americas. Raleigh and his people were on the search for gold and lumber And this image depicts how they ran into much more than that. They found fresh water, fish, and other natural resources. This image acts as a parallel to the Raleigh text in comparison to Mother Earth 
and how we abuse the earth and steal and deplete the land's natural resources. So Chloe, I think it's really interesting that it, this image is just kind of aggressively showing off the resources. And I think that relates back to that mercantilistic philosophy of capitalizing on that in order to make money. Do you have anything else to contribute to that? Yeah, so I was studying these uh, maps and other artworks that basically showed a certain specific area and labeled it by the resources and the animals that live there, which is much different than how we label um, locations now on maps and other artwork. Yeah, that's so interesting. So now I'm going to take a look at another image that was published alongside Raleigh's writings. It's based off of a passage um, on page 61 of his journal, and it reads, This one month they feast, dance, and drink of their wines in abundance, and the moon being done, they all depart to their own provinces. If they conceive and be delivered of a son, they return him to the father. If of a daughter, they nourish it and retain it. And as many as have daughters send unto the begetters a present, all being desirous to increase their own sex and kind. So the image that I'm looking at represents this feast. Um, and in the image, you can see uh, the Amazon people in their native land. And um, during this feast, there's a lot of depictions of sex and there's a lot of depictions of dancing. And um, it's a very casual kind of image. It really shows uh, just how celebratory this feast was and how their concern wasn't really about being taken over or about uh, being strong and making sure that their land was safe, but rather it was about spending time with each other in celebration and having fun. This image really promotes the idea that this is all the women do for their culture. Um, it really emphasizes that women's role for the Amazon people was just to stick around for this feast and to give birth, as it's said in Raleigh's writing. And that was all that they were used for. The men showed up once every year to have this feast with them and to have sex with the women, and then they would wait to see what child were conceived, and then they left the women to fend for their own for the rest of the year. It's also important to note that this image wasn't drawn by Raleigh himself. It's an image based off of his writings from a separate third party's account of his story. They were published together, though, which means that the public who is fascinated with the story of this exotic land was receiving both the text and the images together, which compounds the effects of them. Allison, I think it's really interesting that women are portrayed to have such a specific role, especially in this image. Um, do you think that relates at all to the idea of ecofeminism? Absolutely. I think in this image, the women are really portrayed in a seemingly natural state, which makes them seem like they're one with the land and that this is their natural state of being, accepting sex and celebration instead of prioritizing their safety and strength. So, for example, the woman in the very front of the image, she looks very strong um, and like she could be a leader of the community, but she's standing very leisurely with her crossbow which emphasizes the idea that they weren't all that worried about people coming in and taking over and she was more worried about making sure that the feast went on as it was supposed to. And this image increases the belief that the land was worth conquering because instead of emphasizing the idea of natural resources that we've been talking about, it emphasizes that this is a leisurely place full of sex and fun which entices the people to want to conquer it 
to want to conquer the land like Raleigh intended. Alice and I also think this image is really interesting because it juxtaposes two different kinds of womanhood. We have the first one, which we discussed with Bailey, which was this idealized virgin, queen, untouched woman. Um, and then you have these women who are having sex kind of willy-nilly in this image. And I think the effect of that is that it kind of makes them even more exotic and foreign and further entices people to be interested in this because it's so different than what their cultural norms were. Allison, so I see quite a few parallels in this image compared to my image that I discussed earlier um, and how the women are representative of these resources that I saw in my image. Do you want to talk more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the natural resources that you talked about in your image have just been replaced with the enticement of sex and leisure in this one, I think, in place of fish swimming in the water and a field of lumber in the background. It's instead women prancing around having sex with whomstever wants to. I also think it's interesting because it's appealing to a different audience. Some of the common people from where Raleigh is from might not recognize the need that they have for natural resources like that, but they will be enticed by the idea of leisure and celebration that this image shows. It kind of invites this reader to claim this lifestyle as their own um, and encourages them to support the conquering of the land. Allison, I know you mentioned that this image was included with the Raleigh text, and I think that is super important to, to, talk, to talk about because um, the fact that it was together just makes this entire piece that much more impactful. And the public at this time was interested in what was going on in the Americas. It was fascinating and exotic. And I think that it kind of acted in the same manner that propaganda does, which was exposing them to this idea, normalizing this idea, and gaining public support for it, which eventually worked because colonialism continued for quite, quite a bit of time after this. Kate, I think you're completely right. I think that we can still see the effects of colonia colonialism still today. Do you want to dive in deeper to that? Discussion? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, colonialism as a whole is such a massive concept, and it's honestly the reason for the demographic existence of the world today, you know? Like, the exploitation of natural resources from other countries and the ineffective governing of those territories by European powers um, who basically had no understanding of the cultural relations, traditions, lifestyle of the people who were inhabiting those regions uh, was pretty crippling to their development and prosperity. I mean, you can see the legacy of colonialism in the political instability and the economic hardships of um, the old colonial territories around the world. Um, and so, you know, the effects of colonialism are kind of countless. Uh, when viewing them through an environmental lens, there's still quite a few of them, but there's very specific examples that we can talk about. Yeah, so like even today, um, an example would be sugarcane, which is native to Asia, but was brought to the Caribbean for farming purposes because it actually thrived in that specific ecological environment and was very profitable for those colonizing countries. It was a lucrative cash crop 
and honestly pushed native species out of their indigenous environment. Yes, the propagation of invasive species in non-native environments is still a problem we're dealing with today. Sugarcane is a specific example, but this entire trend is very, very common, and it's all due to the triangular trade system, which the colonizers instigated for resources transportation. Another example of the ecological effects is the massive loss of life of the natives due to the spread of disease by colonists. The native people had no immunity or resistance to these diseases since they had never been in contact with sicknesses like that. A specific example is in the Incan Empire, which was a massive civilization located in the Andes mountain range in modern-day Peru and Chile. It was completely annihilated by smallpox, with historians estimating that 60 to 90 percent of their entire population died from the virus. So even with our discussion of all these examples and the effects of colonialism, I think probably for me one of the most insightful and hard-hitting impacts of analyzing this text is the parallel that I see between the imperial exploitative view of resources and our own modern treatment and view of this planet. I mean, look at our current political environment. Environmental policy, while it's gaining importance, is by no means a priority in comparison to other issues. Um, Look at our manufacturing and agriculture. We still practice unsustainable methods which result in pumping toxic chemicals into the atmosphere and soil and our water supply. Um, We've pushed hundreds and hundreds of species to extinction and we continue to add to that list with endangering them. With population growth, I mean, look at it exponentially. We're eventually going to run out of resources because we're practicing consumption at a really unsustainable level. And I think the most important thing is to look at our society and try and understand what it means that our consumption and contemporary view of the environment still aligns with the perspectives of a historic colonizer. And with that, we actually conclude our podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening. And I hope this gave some insight on Raleigh's account of colonialism and its impacts on the environment. Toodles!